There's new fallout across the nation. Protests were held in multiple cities. Critical race theory movement to entertain young children. It's hard to put into words what exactly we witnessed today. Alrighty then, here we go. I'm ready to preach today, I got my buckets. <laughs> Justice and mercy, we're gonna be in our Bibles today in the book of Micah. How do you know where the book of Micah is? Shout it out if you know what page we're on. Oh, all the page numbers are different in every Bible, but uh, we're gonna be in the book of Micah chapter six. If you have your Bibles, uh, get ready to turn there because we're gonna be reading out of a passage of scripture. It's a short book. If you've never read the book of Micah in the Bible, I encourage you to go home and read it today. And if you're like, well, I'm not a reader, I can't read long things. It's only seven chapters, it's like three pages long. Very, very uh, easy to read. And um, today we're starting a new series called Strong Church. And it's gonna lead into the conference that we're going to uh, in, in Arizona. You can also watch it online as well if you're working. but. We're gonna talk about some of the values of our church and what God has called his people to be. God's people, Christians, were also called the church, the bride of Christ. And so over the next several weeks, we're gonna be talking about what a strong church is like. What does a strong church do? I want, we're a strong church, but what does a strong church do? What do the people believe and what do they teach? That's what we're gonna be talking about. And so there's gonna be a lot of vision casting over the next several weeks. And just to get the conversation started today, I wanna show a quick video that is, it's not gonna have any audio, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk over it as it begins to play. There's a guy named Nick Walinda. I don't know if you all have ever seen this guy named Nick. He is a, well obviously he's a professional of some sort, <laughs> a high wire walker. And um, I always feel like, you know what, they're not really, he's not really, scared because he's got that cable attached to him if he falls. Like, I think they should at least take that off to make it really, <laughs> like, then I'll be impressed. But anyway, he's walking over New York City uh, over, over this, over this, on this high wire, and it's a quarter mile long, and I mean, this guy is way up there. And in order to make it across, they hold that pole and they use this weighted pole because the weighted pole reduces the walker's acceleration from going too fast forward. So it kinda, it slows down your inertia and we're getting all scientific today. Um, but it also allows them to correct their position and stay balanced. And apparently if you hold the pole low, it helps keep your center of gravity lower and it increases your ability to balance more. And so I've got these two buckets. I don't know how, I don't, didn't think through this, how I was gonna hold a microphone and the two buckets. So <laughs> Lord help me today. But in order to illustrate this, I was going to do a, a high wire line through here and like hook it up this week. And HR was like, no, I can't do that. HR people, you know, they just don't let you do anything fun. And 
Well, really, it was just, this is more my budget here, and so here we go. Oh, yeah. I got these two buckets here, and if you've ever uh, carried full five-gallon buckets of paint, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. They're he heavy little boogers. And it's, it's actually tougher to walk with one five-gallon bucket than it is to walk with two. I mean, you walk all kind of funky, got it banging up against your leg. You're just trying to get it. Then you just start dragging it, you know? It's like... <laughs> You give up. But if you can get two buckets that are the same weight, it'll help balance you out and you can walk a whole lot better. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. We're gonna talk about Micah chapter six that I'm gonna read to you in just a moment about how to walk balanced with ju doing justice and showing mercy and walking humbly with God. And that's what the scripture is gonna, gonna read to us in just a moment. Um, there are, in our culture, in our world right now, there are, things are way out of balance. I mean, you, you, I don't need to preach to you on this, but you already know that our world is going haywire. People are going nuts. And people are choosing sides. And there's cultural sides, there's racial sides, there's political sides, there's gender sides. And because we're being pulled to one side or the other, our equilibrium is getting thrown off. And Christians can also experience disequilibrium as well. On the one side, there are Christians that are so heavenly minded that they're of no earthly good. They talk about the glory of the life that is to come while experiencing chaos in the life that is. And then on the other side, there are Christians that are so earthly minded that they have become so secular, secularized and worldly, they say they're Christians, but there's really no difference in them that heaven has no use for them. And so I've titled this sermon, Strong and Balance, as I wanna to talk to you how to keep our balance as a church and walking with justice and mercy. And so here we go, Micah chapter six, verse eight. God tells us how to keep our balance in one single verse. He has shown you, O mortal, I think that's just a nice way of letting us know that we are mortal human beings and God is God. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. The book of Micah is a book of complaint. If you like complaining and you like the tea, as they say, this is God complaining about his people. God is making a complaint against his people who are they're playing church, trying to bribe God with religion. And that's why he leads up with the verses that I just read now. We're gonna read verses six and seven. So here's verses six and seven right before, of course, verse eight. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? In other words, what shall I give God that is gonna satisfy him? And then Micah responds in verse eight, the, re the Lord requires you to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You wanna please the Lord? Then do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Have you ever ordered something at a restaurant and the waiter brought you something that you did not order? 
And if you were to say to that waiter or waitress, ah, you know, I, do, I, I don't like to offend the waiter or waitress because I just know a tough job they have. You know, I want them to like people. And so I want them to like me. And I say, ah, that's not what I ordered. I'm so sorry. You know, I'm apologizing for them. Uh, that's not what I ordered. And usually they're not going to tell you, well, at least you get to eat. <laughs> Keep it, you know, because that's what you ordered. No. Well, in Micah chapter 6, the people were giving God what he did not order. Religious stuff, church attendance, which is good. <laughs> they were giving God the tithe and the offering. That's good. But God said, this is what I require of you. This is what I want from you. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. <coughs> Woo! God said, give me those things, and then I can accept your religion. Receive your, I'll receive your tithes, I'll embrace your worship, but if you do all that other stuff, but don't give me what I ordered first, then I'm gonna leave hungry because you didn't give me what I asked for, which is to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And so if we're gonna be a strong church, then we've gotta give God what he wants. If you're gonna be a strong Christian, firm in the scriptures, we, you have to give God what he's asking for. And what does God ask for? He asks for three things. And so this message is broken into three parts, three points. First, he says, I want you to do justly. So let's talk about justice for a minute. We live in a world that is all, I mean, right now we have, we even call them justice warriors. Basically, people that just talk, 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 but do nothing. That's the world we're living in. Talk, 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 whine and whine and scream about everything, but do nothing. You probably feel, feel guilty. Like if you don't post something on social media, you feel guilty. Like I'm not doing my part of posting on a screen, you know, what's going on. The, the issue of justice comes up a lot in our society and really it's an issue of fairness. What is fair, what is just, and what is right? And the problem is in our world, we don't all view fairness the same way. I, if I believe something is fair, there's someone who says, no, it's not. So we have different views of what fairness is. When, when my wife and my three kids go to dinner and we spend $100 at Chick-fil-A, you can't even go anywhere and not spend $100 at Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out. Actually, In-N-Out, God bless them. God bless them. They're still, the price is right. <clears throat> anyway, but we'll, if we go to like a sit-down restaurant, uh, Hillary, my wife, we've been married for coming up on 13 years, and we have uh, our oldest daughter, her name is Bay, like the Bay of an Ocean, B-A-Y, not B-A-E, okay? <laughs> B-A-Y, she's nine years old. We have Brink, our middle boy, he's seven years old. He's our miracle boy. Uh, I'll preach another message on him another day of how he had some heart, open heart surgery, and God has really had his hand on that boy's life. Uh, Breeze is three years old. Sometimes we'll go to dinner and they'll ask for soda, and that's like a treat in our house. I know you're gonna think like we're really harsh parents. Like you don't have soda in your house? Nope, no soda in our house. Because they're bouncing off the walls. <laughs> so they'll say, can we have soda for, di for, for dinner? And we'll say, yeah, you can, have, you can have a Coke, but no ice cream after. It's either soda now with your dinner or it's, you have to wait for dessert. And one of them will usually say, it's okay. I I'll just take the soda now. And then when it time, comes time to eat ice cream, you know where this is going. Two, two of them are eating ice cream, but the one just had the soda. 
And so the one that had the soda says, dad, please, can I, please, can I have ice cream? Bay, Bay and Brink are having ice cream, you know, whatever, it always switches. One kid always chooses a soda. And they're having a meltdown at dessert time. And basically they're saying, this is unequal treatment. It's unequal, it's not fair, is what they're saying. And so we leave the restaurant. Hillary and I didn't have ice cream. But now we've got a sweet tooth. And we smell the sweet, sweet smell of sweet Jills on 2nd Street. You know what I'm talking about in Belmont Shore? And they make those hot and ready cinnamon rolls. And we go into sweet Jills. And Hillary and I are having our hot cinnamon roll. And the kids are crying, I want a cinnamon roll. And we said, no, you already had ice cream. You had ice cream and you had a soda. And the one that had the soda now is like, yeah, you guys already had ice cream, you know, because now he feels like he's getting justice. And the other two are like, it's not fair. We wouldn't have taken the ice cream if you told us we were going to go to Sweet Jill's and get a cinnamon. So now we're at home and everything's collapsing. Now, now, now me and my wife are fighting over these guys, you know. It's an issue of fairness, and we fast forward, and what happens is now our kids grow up, and they bring those same questions of fairness into culture. Is fairness $15 per hour, or $12 per hour, or $25 per hour? What is fair? Is fairness jumping to the front of the academic admission line? What's fair? Is fairness no cash bail for crimes that were committed? What's fairness? Everybody has their own idea of fairness based on their history, life experiences, and how they were raised. And one of the reasons why we have chaos in our society right now is because people disagree on what is fair. And yet God says over and over in scripture, I want my people to do justice and God sets the bar. So what is justice? I'll tell you what justice really is. The world won't say this, they don't wanna claim it. We've taken God out of school. We've erased God from everywhere in public space where God used to be, which is why we have chaos in our land right now. And we're gonna be talking about this over the next several weeks. I can't wait to bring you a message in three weeks called Return of the Gods. You're gonna to wanna to bring a friend to that as well. It's gonna be great illustrations of the things that we're seeing in our world today. But biblical justice, here's a definition of it, if you'll bring that up on the screen for me. Biblical justice is the impartial application of God's moral law in society. Biblical justice seeks to protect individual liberty while promoting personal responsibility. Justice always starts when God with what God declares a matter to be. Whatever God says about a certain thing that's justice, and that's the bar. So to grasp just, justice, we have to go to God's word where God sets the bar. So James chapter four, verse 12 says this. There is only one lawgiver and judge. The one in its capital letters, capital L, capital J, because God is the law maker and the judge. The one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So any rule that anybody makes must be consistent with the one lawmaker, which is God, in order to be just. Once people start making up their own rules and become their own lawmakers, then the result is chaos because they'll just make up rules that work for them. It's the same in your home. The moment everybody makes their own rules, you're gonna have chaos. 
It's the same in government. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 13, there's no scripture, but I'll paraphrase it. God basically says government officials are supposed to be ministers of God based on what God says is good or evil. God sets, set government in motion and he said, you should follow authority. If the authority is making laws and rules based upon what God says, God says, I'm the lawgiver for government. So the moment government starts making laws that are not consistent with my laws, God says, you are going to have chaos in society. Well, 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 here we are. I know some of you are not liking what I'm saying, but it's good medicine because it's truth, hopefully with grace. I'm trying to give you truth with grace. That's what justice is in the Bible. It's usually coupled with righteousness. So you'll see justice and righteousness like twins in the Bible because you can't have justice if you don't know what's right. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 89, verse 14, it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne, O Lord. You cannot be just if you don't know what is right. And so we're living in a day, a big word for me is pluralism. It's pluralism is this idea that, the only absolute is that there are no absolutes. And that, that pretty much means, yeah, you're right, and you're right, and you're right, and you're right, and it's okay, everybody just get along. Any idea is valid as every other idea, so I get to make up my own rules, and that's fair, okay? Is that fair? If everyone makes up their own rules, that's what everyone wants us to say. It's, you make up your rules, you make up your rules, and we'll call it fair, is that fair? So this group makes up their rules, that group is making their rules, and pretty soon this group is clashing with that group because there's no overriding guideline to which all must submit. Everybody must submit. Even the Bible says that when Jesus comes back and he will return and we are living in last days, I don't know if it's gonna be tomorrow or 30 or 40, 50 years from now. No one knows the day or the hour except the Father. But when Jesus returns, the Bible does tell us that every knee will submit or bow. Every knee, even if you didn't want to, you'll do it because you'll realize, oh my gosh, he's a holy God, he's a righteous God. And so the job of the church, you're the church, I'm the church. Here's the church, here's the steeple. Open the doors, there's a, look at all the people. <coughs> We're the church, and there are many, the church is big. Christianity is the largest living organism on the planet then there's a reason for that. But the job of the church is to be the thermostat of society. A society is supposed to be the thermometer reading the setting of what the church is setting. So if the society's thermometer is reading chaos, it's because that is the temperature that was set by the church. So obviously, over the years and years and years since day one of the church back in Acts chapter two, there have been times where the church has drifted with a lot of mercy. And we've just had a lot of mercy and too much. We've leaned this way, you know, with no, with no justice and it's unbalanced. And we said, oh, God will forgive you. And that's why all my friends now say, oh, God will forgive me. God will forgive me. God will forgive me. And they just go on living their lifestyle as if God really doesn't even exist because he's gonna forgive me. But you need both. So we're supposed to be the conscious of the culture. We're called to bring God's point of view regarding every issue that we are dealing with in our land. That's what the church, you and I, our lifestyles, the things we talk about, we're supposed to be the thermostat in our day. 
I love Jordan Peterson, but he's not God. He's a great guy, a smart thinker, but he's not God. He doesn't set the thermostat for our culture. Joe Rogan, another podcaster, not God. Kim Kardashian, not God. Don't care what she has to say. Some people will say, well, my mama says, my mama says, and in the great words of Bobby Boucher, well, mama's wrong again, you know? <laughs> Some people say, well, my professor says, my instructor said, my friends are saying, culture says. One more time, let me give you the biblical definition of justice. Biblical justice is the impartial application of God's moral law in society. And so as a strong church gives God what he wants, we do justice. And we tell the truth of what God's word says is the standard. Here's the standard. Yet all have fallen short of the glory of God. Number two, God instructs us. He says, I want you to give me what I want, to do justice, and I also want you to love mercy. You're gonna need both hands. And so you take the mercy bucket, don't just do justice alone, because if you do justice alone, oh my, I can't, I can't do this right now. Justice alone is hard-hearted. Justice alone is cold. It's, it's where you get the term Bible thumper. Oh, you're one of those Bible thumpers. Well, that's good. <laughs> we need to know what God's word says. But if there's no mercy, you're out of balance. And so it's both. I want you to do justice, but I want you to love mercy. There's a coldness to you when all you do is go around being the justice police. You're breaking the law. You're breaking the law. We've got some justice police sometimes. And the rules are important. But if all you do is lean into justice, then your Christian equilibrium is going to be off. So you have to balance your walk with mercy. God has two sides to him. He doesn't just lean into justice, even though he's the lawmaker and he's the judge, the ultimate judge, everyone will stand before him. And you will be judged, I will be judged. Hopefully based on, well, we know that if you're a Christian, you'll be judged based on the righteousness of Christ, which is like, whew. But also, you'll be judged based upon how you live your life for him on this earth. But God has two sides to him. He doesn't just lean into justice. He balances it with mercy. God is a God of justice. He's holy, he's righteous, but he's also loving. Oh, and thank God for the love of God. For the love of God, thank you, God. <clears throat> God says, I want you to balance justice with mercy and loving kindness. I want the people who you are applying the justice to also know that you care about them, is what God is saying. So go ahead and apply the standard, Christians, but I also want them to know that you have compassion and kindness as well. A strong church shows God's mercy and compassion to two groups of people. We're a strong church, and we show the mercy and loving kindness of God to those whom life has not been kind to. There's a verse that really sums it up for me of why we do all the ministries of the church in Psalm chapter 82, verse two through four. It says, how long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And this verse is the motivation behind Compassion Ministries here at Dream City Church. 
It's the reason why we have a dream center in Los Angeles and in Arizona. It's the reason why we partner with Foster All Foster Care here locally. This verse is the reason why we did a human trafficking awareness walk yesterday. It's the reason why we distribute food and clothing every Saturday morning. It's the reason why we do adopt the block and grief share and all these ministries of the church. I'm talking about people who in some cases had no control over where they ended up. And a strong church doesn't say, you know, hey, come on, just pull up your bootstraps when they have no boots. <laughs> God says, I want you to reach out with mercy and compassion in my name without compromising my standard. In other words, if you're healthy, man, you need to get a job. But we are to give mercy to those whom life has hurt. They're not rebelling. They've just simply fallen victim to the atmosphere of evil around them. The second group of people we're to show mercy to are those who are guilty. What? What do you mean? Okay, there's, when a criminal was in court, some of this is bringing back memories for some of you, and I love that you're here. It's amazing. Our church is a little gangster, and I love it. But when a criminal is in court and found guilty, sometimes you'll hear that person say, I throw myself on the mercy of the court. I throw myself on the mercy of the court. And what they're asking for is, judge, please don't give me what the law demands that I have. Please don't get me what I deserve. In other words, have mercy on me. And sometimes the judge will lighten the sentence and say, because this person has shown remorse, I'm gonna show some mercy. And that's what a repentant heart is towards God. Repentance, you're, you're remorseful over what your sin has done it separated you from God. And the moment you're truly repentant, you have a repentant heart where you say, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry, God, for what I've done. And not just like, oh, God will forgive me, but it's like, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry for how my sin has separated me from you. Have mercy on me. And you turn and you go towards God and walk away from your stuff and your junk and your lifestyle. Then it opens up the door for God to have mercy on you, his grace is new, his mercy is new every day. But if there's no repentance, then you are blocking the possibility for mercy. Jesus said this in Luke chapter five, verse seven, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. James 2.13 says, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Come on now, let that sink in for a moment here. Some of you need to go back home and make some phone calls or you know, actually wave to your neighbor next time. If you're a justice person, there are some justice people in the room and I love you, you know? You're like, yeah, justice, get them! You know, you're, you're, like, a, you're like a dog, you know, and you're just like, ah. You know, when it gets to be your turn, and trust me, in life, it will be your turn to cry out for mercy. If you're the type of person here, it's like, I just... I'm gonna hold people accountable. People need to be held accountable. One day it will be your turn, brother. It will be your turn, sister. And I hope to God that you have been a person that has shown mercy because to the amount of mercy that you have shown is what God will measure for you and for me. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying give up justice because there is a standard. I'm not saying there shouldn't be accountability. I'm not saying that you shouldn't hold the standard that God has set and lower the bar. No, 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 no. 
balance it with mercy because God has a heart and so should his people. And so a strong church understands both the person and the power of the gospel. The person of the gospel is of course Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, that he died as a substitute for my sin and for yours. And notice God the Father took out his justice on Jesus Christ so that he could show us mercy. That's what happened. He took out justice for our sins on Jesus Christ so that he could show us mercy. God didn't compromise his justice, so he dealt with sin through the person of Jesus Christ so that he could open up the door for mercy to us. And the the power of the gospel is that the poor could hear good news. The oppressed could be set free. The guilty would be set free. The blind would be given sight. People would experience life and life to the full, Jesus said. He said, I came to give you life and life to the full. Families would get better if they follow Christ. I believe that. Strong families are better because Christ is the center of it all. Communities change because of strong churches who walk with justice and mercy. And then God asks us to do the third and final thing. Before he receives your tithe and offering as worship, before he receives your church attendance (laughs) with gladness and all of our worship, he says, I want you to do justice, show mercy, and lastly, I want you to walk humbly with your God. So as you're carrying these two buckets and you're walking with God, let me read you the scripture one more time in Micah chapter six, verse eight. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require you to do? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And I just want you to notice the order of that verse, to walk humbly with your God. You're not asking God to walk with you. You are walking with him. That's the Christian walk. It's not, God, would you just bless me wherever I go? No, God, bless me as I go with you. Whatever your dream is, whatever your agenda is, it's submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, which means you've gotta know where he is going. And you can't walk with him if you're going someplace that he's not going. God, just go with me in this bar. I know I've really been struggling and Lord, go, give, me, give me the strength, God. I guarantee you, God's not going. I mean, if, if you're a real Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you and his presence goes wherever you go. You better be going in that bar only to show justice and mercy to those people, okay? And so I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm just saying, hey, <laughs> God's not going with you everywhere you go. You gotta go with him. The, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God by faith. Every single day waking up and saying, God, I'm yours. All my days, my life laid down, I'm yours forever. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the garden. They were just hanging out with him, doing life with God, and he, where he hears your prayer. And it's the good, the bad, and the ugly all day, every day, the struggles, the stresses, your sins that are coming from a repentant heart saying, God, forgive me, talking about your circumstances, problem on the job, problem in our family. We're laying it all down before Jesus and we're walking with God. I love that Jesus is the friend of sinners. How many of you are grateful that we serve a God who is a friend of sinners? Oh my goodness. That was weak. Come on, how many of you are grateful that we serve a God who is a friend of sinners? So walking with God, it's gotta be in communion with God 
without a leash. And here's what I mean by this. I'm gonna close with this final thought and then we're gonna receive communion uh, right now. Have you ever seen a person walking side by side with their dog without a leash? It's pretty amazing. Some of you have dogs like that because you're a good owner and a good trainer. Oh, wow, I saw some of you just touch your heart right now when I started talking about your dog. Like nothing has moved you until this moment right now. It's ridiculous, I don't care, anyway. <clears throat> I, can, I can tell though, when a dog is walking next to its owner and it's, it's not on a leash, I can tell they have a great relationship because the dog doesn't need a leash. It doesn't have to be dragged to go on a walk. It loves to be with its owner. And some Christians have to be dragged to pray, dragged to worship, dragged to be in church. Do I have to go? Can I show up late? Can I leave early? Why do I have to serve? Pull, pull, pull. Because there's no relationship. There's no joy in serving God. It's just out of duty. It's, it's religion. But when you have a relationship with your God and you're walking with him, there's a joy to it. Oh my goodness, what a joy it is to serve you, God, with my whole heart. You don't have to pull people who are walking with God because they wanna be with God. They wanna please God. They wanna do justice and show mercy and walk humbly with God. And you know, when we talk about being humble people, Christians should be humble people. We should brag more about God than we do our own accomplishments. And everything that good that happens in our life should be reflected right back to God. That's what a humble person does. They reflect the glory back to God. This, someone gives you accomplishment, uh, a, a, a compliment, and you just say, thank you, thank you. Don't go, oh, you know, I've been kind of, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> just say, thank you, praise God. Give him all the glory and honor. Give him all the glory and honor. Being humble doesn't mean putting yourself down. It just means that no matter what anybody says about you or me, we stay small in our own eyes because we know that it's, this, this is God. He's, it's his hand on my life. It's his favor. Everything that I've been given comes from him. And so you stay humble realizing, Lord, who am I that you have shown me such great mercy and grace and favor? And so I wanna close in communion today because as we walk with justice and mercy, we walk humbly with our God. This is really what God has shown us through the cross of Jesus Christ. He showed justice and mercy. The justice was on Jesus Christ so that we could receive mercy. So we're gonna receive communion this morning and that's what these elements represent. Justice and mercy, the mercy of God. And uh, we're gonna start from the back to the front. Would you stand your feet all across this place? We're gonna worship the Lord. And if you'll hold these elements in your hand before, until we pray. But starting from the back to the front, you can make your way through the aisles. Thank you so much. And come get a cup of grape juice and a cracker. Let's begin to worship God this morning and pray together in just a moment.
pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you, Jesus, for your price on the cross. There are some that are gonna pray this prayer for the first time so that they can even receive these elements. But I pray that all of us would be examining our hearts right now, that we'd be the kind of Christians that do justice and show mercy and walk humbly with our God. And right now we humble ourselves before you, God. We admit that we are sinners in need of a savior and your glorious standard is high and we've all fallen short, but thank God for your grace and your loving kindness, your compassion, your mercy that we don't deserve. We thank you, Jesus, for your blood shed on the cross, this, this cup that represents that and your body that was whipped and this cracker represents your body that was broken for us, for our sin, for, for our short, just falling short, our shortcomings. And we receive your forgiveness today by faith and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we have joy in our heart because we get to receive these elements. And it's, a, it's with a glad heart that we say, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. So cleanse us, God, forgive us. We wanna honor you in every way. As we leave these doors today, I pray that we'd be merciful people. Oh, so merciful because we wanna receive your mercy. We need a lot of mercy. So help us to be merciful. But Lord, help us not to bend and bow to culture and to the ways of this world. Give us your Holy Spirit, fill us, Lord, to stand for you strong, immovable in Jesus' name. Let's receive the bread together and give God thanks. Let's receive the cup and give him thanks. You've been so, so good to me. 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 One more time. You've been so, so good to me. You've been so, so good to me. Oh, to think. time let's just say you've been so so good to me let's praise him let's worship him in this place God's house. One more time, let's let the Lord know how thankful we are. We praise you, God. 
We worship you, Lord. Amen. Well, I loved being in church today, and I, I hope you are refreshed, and I love you all so much. You're amazing. If you, if you weren't here last week, and if you haven't yet signed up for a community group, I just want to encourage you. There's a board out there with all the groups. Check them out if you would, and get connected, or if you're looking to serve, get involved in the church. We have a team outside at the Next Steps table who would love to meet you, greet you. Uh, water baptism next Sunday. Make sure you let the team know that you're getting water baptized. It's going to be exciting next week. And then also our chaplains program is here to represent. If you're interested in getting involved in being a chaplain for our city, we could use you in that great way. So you can talk to Skip and Eva outside of the table. God bless you all. Have a great day. Stay dry. <laughs>